Well, good morning, you all, and my goodness, all the, the, the love of God that pours out through the multiple voices in this fellowship just warms me every single Sunday. So I just want to add my welcome to you guys and happy Father's Day to you that are listening by podcast, who are away with families today, celebrating with fathers, a blessing to you as well. And what I'd ask you to do as we jump in to the message this morning is pull your phone or your Bible or your iPad and take a look at the scriptures with me. As Vendetta said a couple of minutes ago, we're going to dwell on Romans chapter 7 this morning. And we've been kind of working through, kind of piece by piece and chapter by chapter, the mind and the thoughts and the heart of the Apostle Paul as he addresses this church that is mainly made up of people who don't have a lot of experience in the church. They were Gentile Christians, people who didn't have the same Jewish background that the Apostle Paul had been accustomed to. And so as he's developing this idea, sort of a central theme for us today is to whom do we belong? Who do we belong to? Is it Christ or is it another? So I'd ask you to just open up Romans chapter 7 and start with me in prayer this morning, and we'll dive into the scriptures together. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being the one to whom we can belong. Thank you for being the one who is faithful. Thank you for being the one who teaches fathers how to be there for their family. Because you have been there for us from the beginning. In fact, you assured us at one point that even if you ascended into heaven and left us for a short time, that you did that and did the cross and did the resurrection so that we would never be forsaken by our Father. We know that we can count on our Father God every single day. And so, God, you have called us to that faith and to that belief for a purpose and for a reason. And so we trust in you today with that and look into your scriptures now through the words of the Apostle Paul. In your name we pray and together we say, Amen and Amen. All right. What I'd like to do is ask you to take a peek up here on the screen as we kind of get into the Word. And as you're looking in Romans chapter 7, you're going to see that Romans chapter 7 is a lot of language. Now, one thing the Apostle Paul never lacked was verbiage. The Apostle Paul could take one concept and talk about that for paragraphs and paragraphs. And he was so gifted and so trained and educated and smart that he could take a little piece of scripture and just blow it wide open for us to see every possible angle. So as we dive into the scriptures together and open up some of these different tools that you're going to see on the screen, as we dive in together, what we're going to do is take a focus and kind of a, um, a microscopic view of one set of passages. We've been doing this for the last several weeks, focusing in on a key set of passages, and that's going to be Romans 7 starting in verse 4 and going through verse 6. It's basically the last half of what Anthony just read a couple of minutes ago. Another thing you're going to notice as we zoom in and focus in a set of verses is that there are some bolded concepts that we're actually going to try to do what the Apostle Paul does and tear those apart piece by piece and just kind of look at the spirit under which what he said is trying to communicate not only to the people back then, but also to you and me now, so we can grow through that. So I'm just going to read the first part of this again. My version is a little bit different, so we can take a little different perspective. The scripture says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. 
Now, the concept of this bearing fruit for God comes out of the same sort of idea that you're going to see in Scripture when you have to start with a, a plant in, in the ground with its seed. You put a plant's seed in the ground, and basically what happens to the seed when you put the seed in the ground to grow a plant? The Scripture says the seed dies. From their perspective back then, a seed actually lost its life so that something else could do what? Could grow, right? And so the idea, the spirit behind this idea of bearing fruit for God also comes with the idea of producing for God, of having produce come from your life. Like a plant grows out of your faith. You, the old seed that's buried in the earth is the old you, the old you that was bound to the law of death. The law that said, if you are conceived in sin, which you and I are, and if we even think of sin, that we are bound to die. Every single one of us in this room, our physical bodies will die. And that is evidence that every single one of us was conceived in sin, born in sin, grew up in sin, and grew up into ourselves sinful creatures. But that's actually good news. Because what happens is that old sinful us dies. In the spiritual world, we die in Christ. And then what happens? Every day, we rise again from the dead. And when we rise again from the dead, we rise, we rise as creatures who are producing and bearing fruit, growing something. And the fruit we bear is not necessarily cows in the field. It's not necessarily chickens on the farm. It's not even necessarily Minecraft crops, though you may enjoy this exercise with your young one at home. But the idea still remains that our hearts, sinful once before Christ, die in him and are born again to a new life, a life that is made to produce something a life that is made to bear fruit for God. And we know by studying the whole counsel of Scripture that that fruit we are called and equipped to produce is more people in the kingdom of God, isn't it? It's not being better Christians. It's not studying the Bible more. It's not praying more. It's not being holier in and of myself but it is being a function of the growing kingdom of God where God takes little old me and uses little old me to produce more little old me's, little old you's. And then you take your faith and little old you goes out and is used by God to produce more little old you's. People who grow in faith in Jesus because they see God at work in your life. Yes, Little old your life and little old mine. We are like little seeds that are planted to produce and to grow. But see, the temptation is that we are called into a life that is different from the life we were born into, the life we were conceived in. Look at verse 5. The scripture says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, or before Jesus, before we were aware that there's more to us than just the body I'm born into. Before then, 
When we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. Now, this is an interesting concept. The idea that Paul gets into a little bit later in the chapter is that he really didn't understand what sin was, which is a break with God, a separation with the relationship with God. That's sin, right? He didn't really understand what sin was until the law said, when you think about a woman lustfully, that's a sin. Or when you take the life of another person, that's called murder. That's a sin. Or when you disobey your parents, that's a sin. He would not have known that those things were sin unless the law had said, do not do this or do this instead. The law educated him to what sin was and what broke away from the character and the heart of God in you and in me. And the scripture says that when that happened, sin jumped to life inside of him and started to go nuts and started to tempt him to do more and more sin. And what that bore in his life was not fruit for the kingdom of God, but fruit for what? For death. What that means is his sin only has one outcome. Sin only produces one thing. Sin only gives birth to one thing, and that is death. At first, it's spiritual death, and then it's physical death. And it could be psychological death and financial death and vocational death and all kinds of other death, death, death. But that's what sin bears fruit for. You and I lived in that life before Jesus, didn't we? Even if we didn't realize it, the law was what came along and said, yeah, man, you're in the middle of that right now. And you and I together would say the Apostle Paul, you and I together need a savior. We need the Messiah. We need Jesus. Here's kind of how that looks. If we get into the idea, we get into the idea that we are in a, a season of choosing as adults. We can choose whether or not to follow Jesus. We can choose whether or not to believe that sin is what it is. We can choose whether or not to believe that Jesus took care of that sin for me. And then I can't do anything to take care of that sin. That's all on his shoulders. We tend to try to back away from that choice and sit on the fence in life. But the way reality is, is we actually don't have that choice. If you're listening by podcast, there's an image on the screen from Wellington Zoo. It's a picture of a parent with a child sitting on the fence. And it says, if you sit on the fence, you will fall in. And then there's a really difficult looking picture with a little child falling into the tiger's cage and a tiger looking like it's getting ready to pounce. It's kind of like that in the spiritual world. There is no fence in the spiritual world. And when we think we're sitting on the fence between a world of death and a world of life, we are actually just simply wrong. We are deluded. We are depraved in heart and spirit. We don't understand that there is no fence to sit on. We are either in life or in death. And Jesus makes it just that clear. But that's the best news of all. 
is because the life that we lived in that bears fruit for death, that sinful life, that has been declared dead in and of itself. It is gone. It is as far away as the east is from the west. And if you think about the geography of that, that's infinitely far, isn't it? If you take east and west off the planet Earth and extend them as far as east and west would go, it is infinite. So God literally remembers that sinful state that you and I were in no more. He chooses to functionally forget it. But what happens is we tend to be like a dog who, as you can see in the scripture, returns to its vomit. We tend to be like one who goes back to the old us and readdresses it. If you've ever seen a dog do this before, it's nasty. It's gross. That's the worst. But in the spiritual world, we tend to do that every single day. And what happens is, just like the Apostle Paul, we find ourselves treading spiritual water. Just like V shared before, and it's just the Holy Spirit that put that in her heart before, because we didn't plan that. The scripture literally says, we know that the law is spiritual. I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin, a slave to sin, like somebody stuck in it, somebody treading water, trying to get out of it and not having the power to do that. The scripture says that Paul says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, we find ourselves in this cycle, not being able to break it on our own power. But that's the good news. That is the best news of all. Because Jesus is the one who breaks it for us. And he doesn't break it for us and leave us there. He doesn't leave us a slave to sin. Instead, he gives us the opportunity to be a slave to someone else. That word belong is actually akin to the idea of being a servant, being a slave. And the Apostle Paul would identify us from this point forward, from this day forward, as servants of Jesus Christ. Now, have you ever thought about Jesus that way? Now, the temptation for us is to think of Jesus as a nice concept, as somebody who took care of my sin. And maybe that makes me feel good about myself for a minute. But did you think about yourself as a servant to Jesus? As one who actually serves his, his wants, his desires, his needs? Did you ever think of yourself that way? And did you ever consider the idea that you were born to be a slave to someone? You were born to be a slave to someone in the spiritual world. You were conceived a slave to sin, but you were saved to be a slave to Jesus. Now, the word slave to us has terrible, awful connotations to it, doesn't it? But in our faith, being a servant to Jesus is good news. Because Jesus shows us what to do with that servanthood. He shows us how to live as a servant in the kingdom of God. It's the idea of 
whoever will find his life will do what first? Will lose it. In the losing of my life in Jesus, I actually find my life. Have you ever been tempted to go somewhere and try to find yourself? Have you ever been tempted to take that trip where you go away for the sole purpose of finding yourself? See, the good news is, as a follower of Jesus, Jesus gives you yourself. When you die to sin, you are given back a real life, a brand new life, a life that changes lives, a life that is eternal and forever. So that's what Paul is getting into here in verse 6, where he says, But now by dying to what once bound us, remember we were slaves to the law. We've been released from that law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. The idea is we are born to serve. And we, by default, will serve someone, whether it's ourselves or someone else. And God has called us to die to ourselves in this way and to pick up the mantle, the yoke of Jesus and to follow him and to serve him. In fact, Jesus makes it kind of like this. I love baseball. And what I love about baseball is that it's something that I could share with my dad. Now, my dad and I don't have the best of relationships. We don't talk every single day. Matter of fact, it's probably weeks before he and I ever have a share a material conversation where there's anything we really talk about. But one thing I remember as a kid was him taking me to the local baseball games in Chattanooga, where I grew up. And what I love about baseball is that baseball comes with limits. For example, if you go to a baseball game, there are boundary lines. There are yellow poles in the corners that tell you when a ball is hit outside the yellow poles, what kind of ball is it? It's foul. But when it's hit inside the yellow poles, what kind of ball is it if it goes beyond the, 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 the fence in the back of the field? It's a home run. You know what a home run is based on the idea that there's a fence there. You know what a foul ball is based on the idea that there are poles there that you can't miss. Big yellow ones that tell you where that goes. And you know what happens when somebody hits a home run in a baseball field. Everybody goes nuts because the ball went over a boundary line and went out and sailed out of the field that is designated as the home run boundary. It's kind of like this for, for you and I as Christ followers. We know what the limits of our lives are based on what Jesus teaches us about life. Jesus didn't throw out the Ten Commandments. Jesus fulfilled them and said, if you will follow me, you will follow me with a burden and with a yoke and with a law upon your life that is light. You will follow me into a life that is meaningful and purposeful in the kingdom of God. I will show you the limits and I will teach you to live within them and I will give you the power of my spirit so that you may make the choices to live within those limits. 
And then when you do, you will see home runs in your life. You'll see base hits. You'll see double plays. You know what success is in baseball, don't you? Because there's a structure and there are limits on the field. You know the definition of what success means. This is what you and I see as success in the kingdom of God. Jesus. That is what success is in the kingdom of God. Jesus. And when we trust in him for the power and the purpose that he has us living in, then our lives are a success by the definition of what success is. Is it not? And you know what? As difficult as life can be sometimes, I find a gentle simplicity in the fact that Jesus is my limit. Jesus is the one in whom I trust. Good days and bad days. When I'm batting less than a thousand or more. When my scores are under 500 or above. Whatever the numbers might be in my life, the standard is Jesus. Jesus is more than the home run is in baseball. Let's kind of look at it this way. Jesus said to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus never said quit. He never said give up and stop and wait for me to return. He said, take my yoke upon you. You guys know what a yoke is? I don't know if we have any farmers in the room. But basically, it's kind of like a, a bridle on the back of, of oxen to pull, you know, farm equipment that tends the soil and turns it up so plants can be planted and crops can be grown. Produce can be made. Jesus is talking about movement. He's talking about growth and passion in a life that has purpose and a direction. And he says, don't take that as you having the power and the purpose in and of yourself. Take it as trusting in me, and I will give you a yoke and a burden that is light and easy. And that yoke and burden is to trust in Jesus. We know the limits of our life. And that limit, those limits, are thankfully and gracefully bound up in our Savior, who is Jesus. So if you study through Romans chapter 7 on your own, you will see a man who struggles with sin, but you will also see a man who has relegated his faith to Jesus and knows that he can find rest for his soul every single day of his life whether he feels like his life is a success or a failure, he knows his life is a success because of the standard of Jesus. So where are you with that standard? Do you believe that Jesus has met the righteous requirements of the law in your life? Do you believe that Jesus is your standard and that he has given you a new life? of purpose and meaning. 
My prayer is that if you don't know that and aren't assured of that a hundred thousand percent on this day, that from this day forward you will know that. And you'll hear it and see the evidence of it in the spoken and read word of God. Would you pray with me and receive these words and just let it stew in your heart? Jesus, thank you so much for doing whatever it took to take away the effects of my sin, to let my old life die in you when you were buried in the earth and let it rise again to a new purpose, a new life, just like you rose from the grave. And just like you flew up into heaven and ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, you call me up into the air with you to fly. You call my life to be more than what it is, more than what it appears to be. And you give me everything that is needed to be a part of producing new growth, new disciples in the kingdom of God. I thank you and I praise you. I give glory to you because of the Spirit. And I ask that you come now in the power of your Spirit and work in my heart. In your name we pray and together we say, Amen and Amen.